We often talk on this podcast about getting unstuck. Do you sometimes feel like something's holding you back? Maybe you're in a rut or you're envisioning a life or a job that's eluding you. Strategic coaching is a unique and holistic approach to providing solutions by uncovering the real challenges stopping you from reaching your desired goals. And it's okay to seek help, whether it's coaching or even therapy, because unbiased support, strategies, and tools can help us all break down the barriers of our emotions, beliefs, and values. Health, wellness, career, relationships, and everything in between. We're removing the taboo from what really matters in midlife. I'm your host, Michelle Folan, and this is Asking for a Friend. Welcome to the show, everyone. Our guest today is a strategic life coach, author, and speaker. She specializes in helping people end self-sabotage, their limiting beliefs, and imposter syndrome so that clients can fulfill their soul's purpose and become the version of themselves that they can't stop dreaming about. Welcome, Lise Wilcox. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. It's great to meet you. I think you have a really great story. I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about you, how you got into life coaching. (laughs) Sure. It happened accidentally through a long and winding road, meaning I'm going to start at the end of the story and work back. This will be the spoiler alert. Perfect. I am now raising my family, three young girls, with my incredible partner. We just got engaged. We are eloping next week. I run this awesome international life coaching business, speaking practice, couple of books. Things have worked out really well. The road to get there It did not look like it was going to work out really well. A number of years ago, I had my, I would say my first midlife crisis. I had it a little bit earlier than I think most people do, but I was in my early to mid thirties. I woke up one morning and realized that this air quotes, perfect life I had created that looked a hundred percent enviable from the outside in was actually feeling like I was drowning from the inside around me. I had this big, beautiful house brand new kitchen, three perfect baby girls, a good looking husband. It never felt like it was enough for me. I remember in that moment, hearing these words come out of the ether that nothing will be enough for you until you are enough for you. Wow. And it rocked me. Mm-hmm. That was the catalyst. I knew I had been unhappy in my marriage for so many years, but I didn't want to confront it because it was too painful. It was against my values to end a marriage. There was so much wrapped in that, that it took a huge leap of faith for me to call time of death on this marriage that had definitely run its course. I did. It felt like I was blowing up my life because it was out of alignment with what my soul wanted. I didn't know that was the language at the time, but nonetheless, going through divorce was the most traumatic experience of my life. I can say that being very open about after divorce, I had to unpack all of the emotional abuse that I had repressed and not wanted to confront that experience rather when I was a child. About two years after the divorce, 
I got hit with a completely spontaneous health crisis in the form of a breast cancer diagnosis. Oh, gosh. That resulted in months of aggressive chemo and a full double mastectomy. I am now flat chested because of the preventative measures that I took for my own health. Sure. Still, divorce remained the most traumatic, emotional abuse, financial abuse, all of it. Each of those real crises between childhood abuse, (laughs) divorce abuse, and then this wild health crisis, they all really shaped who I am as a person. I took all of these really negative experiences and was intentional and so conscious about transforming them and making them my own to allow my present to be informed by my past without ever letting it dictate my future. Concurrent with that, I was freshly divorced and I had been a stay-at-home parent and that had always been the plan and the vision. I needed to invent a career for myself overnight. Oh my God. Right? That's not daunting. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Especially when you are still the primary caregiver for three girls who at that time were, all three of them were under age five. Oh, wow. Which is why I started at the end of this story, because to start at the beginning, it's too dramatic. (laughs) We all would have been like, oh, man. (laughs) It's just too sad. Can this get any better? (laughs) The answer is yes. It got tremendously better. It's really great now. My girlfriend and I, many years ago, people were not using Instagram. They were only using Facebook, and Instagram wasn't really a thing. We started working. We were really good at our own personal Instagram. We worked together and we accidentally started a boutique creative agency in which we worked with small, medium, female owned businesses. And we took over their Instagram accounts. Every time without exception, our clients would turn to my business partner and say, let's talk sales, branding, marketing. And then they would turn to me and say things like, I have to prove to my husband that this is not just a hobby or this is really challenging because my mother said I was never creative. I would never make any money as a creative. And now here I am. I accidentally fell into life coaching. Yeah. Grew the business through a winding road with my own experience and my clients' experiences shaping the business that I have today. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) I mean, it was circuitous, your path, but it makes sense though. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and I might have to talk to you about some tips with my own Instagram. Sure. (laughs) I struggle with Instagram. I'm not very good at it. It changes so fast. It's very difficult to keep up as a business owner. I do a trial and error, honestly. I delete a lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the way it goes. Along with your health crisis, you mentioned on your website about alcohol. Yes. How did that play a role in this? Oh my gosh, I think alcohol got me through my marriage. It became the foundation of my social life. As with any addiction, you surround yourself with people who share that same addiction. And when it's alcohol, we have that so normalized in our society, it's very difficult to realize and identify that you actually have a problem. I didn't know that I had a problem. When the marriage ended, I started drinking a lot less. I thought I was fine. When I got the cancer diagnosis, I was standing with my aunt in a family cottage and she said, you're going to have to stop drinking now. It was like a switch went off inside of me. It just turned off. I was so aware that for only health purposes, I was going to need to stop drinking. It was only with that clarity that, forgive the pun, but that sobering thought. When I was distanced from using alcohol, suddenly I became so profoundly aware of what a dependency I had 
on that substance. For me now, as more of a passion project, I've become such an advocate for sober living because I think that most adults are functional alcoholics. It's been, as I said, normalized, so accepted because it's only a glass of wine or it's only a bottle of champagne. I even think COVID yes. made the situation even more glaringly obvious for a lot of people, yes. me included. I've been very forthright about that, how I had to really take a step back and reassess my own relationship with alcohol. I'm in a much better place now. Also, Lise, the idea of doing what you're doing, raising three girls, running a business, you can't do all this and be foggy mm-hmm. and feel shitty. The two don't go together. You had to make a decision that, hey, this is really how I want to feel every day. Absolutely. I mean, I think that everybody can relate to this. If anybody's feeling triggered by this conversation, that would be the invitation to have a really good self-reflection. The people that I talk to about this and they get angry about my choices, that's usually the invitation to go deep and have a really good look at what your relationship to alcohol is like. It's so easy to use as a numbing agent. For me as a life coach, my entire business is built on what are those effects from the past that are still hanging out somewhere in your body that we need to clear off and heal and resolve. And what do you want it to look like moving forward? How do we really achieve those big dreams and make them your reality? This brings up my first question is midlife can be such a wonderful time of self-discovery. But So many of us get held back by old narratives. Yes. I think you use the term Mm self-sabotage a lot, but is some of that self-sabotage repressed childhood experiences and that sort of thing that we haven't really faced head on? Almost exclusively. To use a numbing agent, if you just turn to wine with your girlfriends and that becomes your quote unquote therapy, people think they're doing it, but they're not really doing the work. Honestly, I haven't met anybody who doesn't have some kind of childhood experience, either capital T trauma or lower T trauma that hasn't affected them in adulthood. Self-sabotage is so insidious because we often, even if we're aware that we're self-sabotaging, we usually have no idea why we're self-sabotaging and therefore how we stop it. Most of those patterns appear in our adult lives having been born in this place of a coping mechanism or even a survival mechanism when we were children. That pattern that is established at that formative period of our lives just becomes the way that we do things. Whether it's procrastination or overthinking or my personal weapon of choice, toxic over-functioning in which you just give and give and do and perform, all of those patterns are born in some place of this is what made me feel safe and secure as a kid. And so I just never stopped. It's usually held at this deep unconscious level, which is why it's so beneficial to work with somebody who's actually trained in clearing out that kind of trauma so that you can move forward. If it's still camping out in your unconscious belief system and structure, it doesn't matter how much mindset work you do, how much yoga you invest in, how many affirmations you say, If your unconscious believes something to be true, that will be the governing truth because it's designed to keep you safe in that pattern. When someone comes to you, when your client says, I'm reaching out to you because of X, Y, Z, what are you typically hearing women verbalize at the outset? Again, probably 99% of the time, 
conversations that I have with people who become clients are, I don't know why I need to work with you. I just know that I need to work with you. It's usually something about the energy or they've heard this conversation that I've had and they just need to know more about that. Then when we get into that process, there are so many shared patterns and feelings, patterns of guilt, of shame, patterns of imposter syndrome, the feeling of never being enough and having to constantly prove to the unknown they that I am in fact good enough. Difficulty communicating in relationships. Probably the most popular one is not being able to even identify what my needs are, let alone ask for them. I have found that my midlife clients, that's something they struggle with in particular, because there's also a bit of a generational gap in terms of how we were raised, that very few people were raised in an environment that encouraged them to ask for what they wanted or to do what felt good. And rather we were encouraged just to toe the line or be a nice girl or sit down and listen. Suck it up. Suck it up. <laughs> Or you are a woman, you should be able to have it all. We fought for you. You should be able to do all of this at the same time. It's so much overwhelm that the people who come to work with me are very often at the very cusp of burnout. Even if they don't know it, you can just tell they've been carrying the weight for so many other people for so long. They're about to completely topple over. They've never learned how to ask for or receive help before. It can be that struggle even to reach out. Once they do reach out, they learn how incredible it is to have a safe, sacred, supportive person on the other end of the phone or computer who's there just to help them figure out what do they want? Who are they? What is their identity? What is their big dream and what is holding them back from making that dream their reality? You need to get through all this stuff first before they can have that midlife pivot or really change things up. Do you put people through a series of assessments or is it just talk therapy? How do you get to the root of this? I have a lot of education and a lot of earned experience coupled with my own very keen intuition. There isn't a formalized assessment process that I use. However, when I work with a client privately, we start with an entire day together. We start with a full day session. We go really deep into what are their values? What are their stories? Not even what was your childhood like, but what are the stories and narratives that you have been living with? How do you observe those holding you back? We do a lot of unconscious work, which just feels like guided meditations that allow us to release these trapped emotions or trapped limiting beliefs. Some of it is breath work and somatic healing on the body level. We take all of that context that we learn about you as a person. Then as we heal forward, we can start putting an actionable plan into place. I find that the coaching industry, especially life and mindset coaches, it's so dominated by being too future forward. Whereas in my humble opinion, therapy tends to be too much focus on the past my business is built on the marriage of both of those worlds by getting, as I said, big picture, 360 context of you as the person and what are your relationships like to your business, your work, your partner, dating, your family, your children, your money, whatever it is. Then when we get a sense of what stories are coming with you to the table, 
then we can heal them forward and come up with a strategy to get whatever it is that you are so desiring to become yours. Do you ever involve other people in, say, that client's circle, a husband or children? No. Is it just all individual? I've worked with couples before and we've done a breakthrough day for each of them and then they can bring it to the table to communicate their own needs. Unless I'm working with a mastermind and doing an actual group coaching, the value it really is in that intimate one-on-one container of somebody who's just there to listen to you. Now, because I have a Dutch background, I'm a Taurus, that means I really value being hands-on and practical. Each of my clients is armed with such an incredibly vast toolkit of strategies they can bring forward and implement into their own lives. There are so many takeaways. I also help support them as they actually put those into action. I saw something on your website and I like how you use the term midlife ascension instead of midlife crisis. I think I'm going to steal that (laughs) because I think we can have a midlife crisis that can lead to a midlife ascension. Crisis is such a dramatic word. Sometimes it is a crisis. Don't you feel sometimes we need to have things get a little topsy-turvy for us to take action? Mm -hmm. There's a great quote from Picasso who said that every act of creation is first an act of destruction, Ah. which I love. All right. (laughs) I mean, again, a midlife crisis, quote unquote, is also a natural psychological developmental milestone for every human. I feel like as soon as we start to use the language of, oh, it's a crisis, then we necessarily bring a whole bunch of shame to the party. We can't talk about it and we don't want to admit it. We don't want to share it. In reality, everybody will hit that moment in their life where they have that, oh my goodness, what am I doing? How did I get here? And who am I? I don't know if it comes with that awareness of life is finite and you really only get one spin around in this lifetime where suddenly we want to become so intentional or we have that bubble punctured, that bubble of permanence. We have it punctured and suddenly we become aware of what decisions am I actually making in my life? I think if you have the right attitude and mindset, you can see that inflection point as this incredible chance to start over, to rise up, to do it differently, to really take ownership of your life, your narrative, and how it is you want to spend your days here on earth. We joke with men who they have a midlife crisis and they get a girlfriend, a sports car, and hair plugs. Yes. What do women do? What do we do when we're having our midlife crisis? The coolest stuff. I I saw there was a meme on Instagram a while ago that said exactly that. When a man has a midlife crisis, he gets a girlfriend who's the 20-year younger version of his wife and a sports car. Women learn how to train owls. They become tarot readers. They get PhDs. I feel the female approach is to next level your learning and really deepen and enrich your experience with your own life and relationship to yourself. I love that. (laughs) I hope more women feel encouraged to step out of their comfort zone and say, shit, I'm just going to try it because I've been wanting to do this forever. I do want to talk about your program because you have one-on-one coaching, but then you've got a group coaching. I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. It is so passionate. Anything I do is infused with so much passion and so much integrity. 
Yes, I have a private offering and I really only take two to three clients a year privately because we work together for the whole year. It's an intensive program, but it's also, it's basically having me on retainer for the entire year, which is really beautiful and really valuable. The group program was born out of a need to be able to protect my own boundaries and my own energy to stay present with my family, to stay present with my husband, also be in massive service to many more women. I offer two masterminds. One starts in the fall and it goes from September to June. So it's a 10 month program. At the end of it, we have a speaking event that I organize and everybody gets on stage and has a chance to share their story, which is lovely. I also offer a winter mastermind that it's more of a hybrid program. We start in January it goes till June. We meet every single week on Zoom. People also have private coaching with me as that program is happening. So it feels more like a hybrid model. It's a smaller group. There are only five, whereas in the bigger mastermind, there are 10. You have these three tiers, private, hybrid, or full group. Each of them, you can do all three, <laughs> but each of them has an incredible sacred space built into it. It's really tailored to your, it's such a bespoke experience, depending on what you as the person need and what you want to get out of it. That's neat. I like that you have several offerings. That's nice. It's tailored for whatever people are needing at the time. Mm -hmm. You tell a cool story about the vine. Yes. And I really want you to share that because <laughs> it really resonated with me. I'm going to go in full storyteller mode. It was a brand video that we shot for my speaking agency so that companies, if they want a, a motivational or inspirational speaker, they can come and watch this video and see if it's the right fit. But it's one of my favorite stories of all time to tell. A few years ago, I was again, recently single and decided that I was going to not rent, but buy my own home with my girls. And that felt like a huge accomplishment. I had all kinds of tortured issues with money in the past. And it felt like such a point of arrival to be able to buy this historic home, renovate it, we got featured in all kinds of design publications and it was just the homiest, most comfortable, whimsical place. It was just so beautiful with such a good vibe. However, the outside was less than that. There was, we have a actually pretty decent sized lot. There's this fence on the deck that was covered in this vine. I am not a gardener. I feel like when my grandparents moved here, they did all the gardening and farming for like generations of us to come. Yeah. My idea of taking care of this vine was every now and then I would go out in my flip-flops with a pair of kitchen scissors and I would trim off the vine or like a little tendril of the vine and I'd be like, great, my work here is done. I had had both sets of neighbors warn me that this vine was a creeper. It was going to take over everything. And I was like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm just going to come and do this shortcut every once in a while. I'll just trim off the vine and call it a day. Then we went away for a weekend. <laughs> and when we came back, when we came back, I kid you not, this vine had swallowed our picnic table. It had crept 30 to 40 feet across the deck and was now starting to encroach on the fence on the other side of the property. It was just it was like, like sci-fi. It was like Little Shop of Horrors style. <laughs> yeah. I knew something had to be done that was more effective than this bogus shortcut of just snipping it off every now and then when it got too much in my way. I called a professional. I had him come in. He had to go underneath the deck. He crawled in his sweaty, dirty self 
underneath the deck. And what he did was he actually hacked away at the root of the vine. Once he found the root and then decided to take action by actually stopping it in its tracks, miraculously, the vine stopped being a problem. It stopped overwhelming us and it stopped dictating our whole experience in the backyard. I could not get over what a significant metaphor that was for our emotional lives. How we take these shortcuts, whether it's alcohol, shopping, sex, whatever it is, whatever your drug of choice is, we take these shortcuts to make us feel better in the meantime. And it's really only when we decide to do the messy, dirty work that usually involves a professional that we call in to actually help identify what that root, that origin story is that's causing us so much grief. That's where we address the actual issue and stop it in its tracks so that we can get a new kind of emotional garden in our own future. Ah, see, I love that. I want to free women from the stigma around seeking help. Yes. Because I think this message needs to be heard that suck it up. Push on through. Push on through. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to bounce things off of someone else. I think getting therapy or doing some kind of coaching, it can be really freeing. Yeah. To have someone who's very objective, look at your life and help you along with that. Yes. I often think of a football team. And again, I know football because I love watching Friday Night Lights. This is not because I'm really, I know anything about football, but here's what I do know. (laughs) That every player on that field, they have an overall coach, right? They've got a head coach of the team. And then they each have specialized coaches for their specific position on the team. And then if you're somebody like the quarterback, you also have a quarterback throwing coach who only focuses on those micro movements of your fingers and hand that can help you move that throw, that spiral, whatever it is forward. Those football players are not achieving at that level. They're not living that dream because they ask their friend who happened to be good at playing football, what to do. This tendency of, no, I have a girlfriend and she's really supportive. You can't ask your girlfriend to be your therapist. You can't ask your girlfriend to be your coach. Your friends need to be your friends and overloading or dumping and downloading every little thing that's on your chest onto a friend is actually not encouraging a supportive friendship. It's either encouraging codependency or it becomes just such a huge violation of boundaries that the friendship itself cannot thrive. That's why we have professional. This is why I have a job that when people hire me, it feels like you're talking to a friend and you don't have to do any emotional labor to make sure that I'm okay. It's just a professional who's there in service to you to be supportive of you. I think the more I do this podcast, the more I realize that there's a lot of help out there. Just people have to be confident enough to go seek it out. When people talk about leap and the net will appear, this is what they're talking about. How do you take that first step? You don't have to know what the rest of the staircase looks like. It doesn't matter. All you need to do is take that first step, trust your body, trust your intuition, trust yourself just to reach out and ask, and then let the rest fall into place. You've written some books. Yes. Which is amazing. With everything else you've done, you've also written books. 
I wrote the first letter in chemo. Oh, you did? I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Tell us a little bit about the books. I want people to know what you've written about. Sure. The first one I did, I wrote the proposal for it, which is like a 120 page document. I wrote that during my chemo sessions because all of a sudden I had all this time on my hands. The nurses would give me like the good chair with the good light and there were rainbows coming in. And I wrote this book. It's called To Call Myself Beloved, A Story of Hope, Healing and Coming Home. It is a self-love manifesto. It really feels like equal parts self-help, equal parts memoir, and equal parts feeling like you're just cozied up with a friend hanging out on the couch. It's a beautiful book, and it really does. The memoir part is that it really goes through my own life experiences and how they shaped my present, but it also has so many actionable takeaways. It's a great introduction to working with me because there are so many actionable steps and questions and exercises to work through. The second book is called Alone, The Truth and Beauty of Belonging. It picks up where the first book left off. I was single for a number of years and it was my greatest pain point because all I had ever wanted after really tumultuous childhood, all I wanted was the safety and security of being with someone who would raise my girls like their own and we'd have this really lovely, comfortable little life together. Not having that was so difficult. When I wrote Alone, The Truth and Beauty of Belonging, it was off this notion of, okay, I love myself and I'm still single and I'm still finding this to be very difficult. What do I do about it? But the more I shared that idea with other people, they were like, I have felt alone in parenting, in entrepreneurship, in my own family dynamics, and often within my own marriage. Alone examined what does it mean to feel alone versus lonely? And how do we get to this place where we realize once we truly feel at home within ourselves, the truth and beauty of it is that you're never, ever alone. As soon as that belonging to self is present, you never feel alone again. Ah, oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> They're both on audio as well. So you can pop them on while you're driving around. I am in a book club. I can always suggest things for book club too. I would love to just wrap things up a little bit. I feel like I could talk to you for such a long time, but I want to know where people can find you. I'm on Instagram very often at Lise Wilcox. My website is leasewilcox.com. Pinterest, YouTube, I'm present pretty much everywhere except for TikTok because I just can't get into it. <laughs> TikTok and Twitter, <laughs> I can't get into. But Instagram, I'm very active on and my website is an excellent resource. The books are there, information on coaching, information on masterminds. It's all there. I will put all of that in the show notes, your book titles, all of your social media and your website. I can't get into TikTok either. So <laughs> you just can't do it. <laughs> join the club on that one. Lise, this was delightful. Thank you for opening our minds and our hearts to getting therapy and getting coaching. I think your wonderful story really resonates with so many people. And thank you for sharing. It is such a pleasure to be invited on and have the opportunity to share it. Thank you for facilitating this and for offering the service that you offer to so many people who don't even know what they're looking for, but they just kind of need that invitation to come and find it. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. Follow 
follow Asking for a Friend on social media outlets and provide a review and share this show wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and sharing help us grow. 